The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 336. Yes, I said six for Monday, June 13th, 2011, with a little message from Barry. To Dave, John, and Pilot Pete, wherever he may be, it's Barry wishing you a happy sixth Mac Geek Gab anniversary. May you create another 336 podcasts, so please, whatever you do, don't get caught. To the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the podcast where for the past six years, yes, we have been answering your questions, solving your problems. You send in your questions, you send in your tips. We do our best to get you an answer. And if we can't do it, chances are another listener can here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. Here in Fairfield, Connecticut, John F. Braun. Happy birthday, John. I mean, you know, podcast birthday. Happy anniversary. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Really we're only birthday. six, though. We're, yeah, we're kind know. of a brat, right? <laughs> well, we, should, we shouldn't be allowed to do this unsupervised is what it is. Uh, but we did. We've made it six years, and that's a good thing. So, uh, yeah. yeah, I know. It's cool. Well, I, want, I want to thank everyone. Everyone. It's, it's a beautiful thing. We really do. We, we, have, we have each other to thank. We have uh, our families to thank. And, and, of course, more than anything, we have our listeners to thank because... Uh, You folks make it possible in so many ways for us to do that, which we come here every week and sometimes more than once a week to do. How how about Apple? Can we thank them, too? Yeah, actually, we should thank Apple, right? I mean, we (laughs) yeah, were it not for their technology and uh, and some of the quirks they introduce in it and, and also a lot of the great stuff they do, we wouldn't be here either. If their stuff worked perfectly and everybody understood it, uh, we'd have to talk about something else. Thank you, Steve. That's right. Uh, all right. Uh, you know what? Let's, uh, let's, let's continue with the thanks and I'm going to, uh, extend thanks to, of course, all of our sponsors that have been with us, not just currently, but over the last six years. And our uh, first sponsor for today, uh, has been with us for a long, long time, basically since we started offering a sponsorship on this show. And that is Barebones uh, at barebones.com. Barebones, since we just got off at WWDC, uh, it seems appropriate to talk about BB Edit. BB Edit 9 is Barebones. It's their flagship product. Uh, It is the thing that they have been producing the longest, as far as I know. But most importantly, it is a text editor to beat all text editors. In fact, this is this is far more than just a text editor. It is a code editor. And. It really can work with any kind of code. I mean, you can be doing really advanced stuff in, in you know, Java or or C, and it can also do stuff in HTML and JavaScript. So and PHP and all of that. It The coolest part is when you open up uh, a file in this and you can open up a file from your desktop, you can open up a file from anywhere on your Mac, but you can also very easily open files over FTP. And it'll even save over FTP. So if you can, I, and I do this all the time. I open a file, I edit it and BB edit. When I hit command S to save, it actually saves it over FTP to a web server. It's not ever saving backups on my local drive, but it's not saving it anywhere on my local drive. It's actually saving it. Every time I hit command S, it is live uh, wherever that file lives on the web. As I said, it'll edit PHP or HTML as well. As soon as you open a file, it shows you, all of the constructs 
it figures out what language you're in and formats the text, colors the text, highlights things so that you can easily glance down and see it even finds functions and uh, or, or in HTML, it finds tags. And so you can you could actually go and close up your body tag in HTML and you'd have this really tiny little document that just showed the header and you could fold up the head tag. It just you're using those little triangles like we have in the finder to uh, open to twist open and close uh, the details of folders. Same thing in BB edit. Really, really great stuff. Uh, and, and, you know, they've been doing something that we saw is coming in Lion. The whole concept of uh, leaving the app and coming back into the app later, even after a restart with all your windows already open exactly where they were. BB Edit has that right now in a feature called Sleep. You can go to the BB Edit menu and instead of choosing quit, you choose sleep. And it does exactly that. It saves the state of everything, quits the app. The app's not running. You can reboot. But when you come back in, it's bam restores everything right up. I don't think I've actually quit BB edit in possibly years. I've always slept it. And so there's windows that have just always been open for me, you know, kind of per- persisting throughout available at barebones.com. Uh, you can of course download a free trial and then it's 99 bucks uh, right there on Barebones. So that price has actually come down over the years, 99 bucks for an individual license. If you own a previous version, it's 30 bucks to upgrade and half price 49 bucks. If you are, a student or otherwise affiliated with some sort of educational institution, uh, barebones.com. And now John, it's time to talk to Gareth. Gareth writes, I have an old mid 2005 iBook G4 that I'd like to pass on to someone, except that it freezes up randomly and sometimes completely drops all power. The iBook has one and a half gigs of Ram, one gig stick in the slot and the original 40 gigabyte hard drive. Uh, and a brand new Apple battery and is running the latest version of Mac OS 10.5 Leopard. When the Mac freezes, this can sometimes be fixed by pressing a key. Usually any key works. Uh, it freezes on the boot screen when idling or when performing a task. The Mac passed every test on the Apple hardware test utility I have on the original Tiger install disk. Uh, Rember gives the RAM a clean bill of health. I have reinstalled Leopard on a recent install, but the problem comes back. I'm now left thinking it's the hard drive getting ready to fail. Onyx and Apple Disk Utility both throw up issues with the file structure, unexpected number of files. I'd uh, be glad to have your opinion or suggestions on what else I could try. John? Wow. You know, and you thought I was bad or good. <laughs> but mid to, I mean, I mean, hats off, hats off to you. Gareth, my gosh, 2005, 2004, I mean, mid 2004. Right? Well, you said mid 2000. Well, the, the, the official classification of this machine is mid 2005. Oh, 2005. Sorry. Uh, sorry. You're right. You're right. You're right. Oh my gosh. That machine's as old as the podcast, right? <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Wow. So uh, I was going to be snarky and say, you know, find a place to recycle it or something. Well, but Gareth's doing I, a nice thing, passing it off to somebody. He is. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. No, he, he or she, right. I don't know if this is a Gareth. I, I know Gareth's of both sex. So, you know, it's one or the other. Right. The only thing that concerns me here is when reading this now, if this is the case, then I would say you may want to ditch the machine. Now, he said it completely drops all power. If you mean that it just spontaneously shuts down, you know, that that that's a bad problem. Yeah. Yeah, the fact that it it freezes on the keyboard, it, it freezes and then key, any keyboard input uh, will will resurrect it or unfreeze it. 
that's really weird to me. That that doesn't sound like something that the hard drive um, would would be in charge of. You know, I, I wonder if resetting the PRAM would solve this problem. I mean, it's almost like there's, you know, the, the CMOS battery or whatever we call that battery in there is is acting funky. And I don't know. It just doesn't seem like the hard drive to me. Seems it seems more sinister than that. Something on the motherboard and and perhaps a PRAM reset would fix it, but perhaps not. I don't know. What do you what do you think? I mean, my one suggestion to him. So, you know, I I think it could be the hard drive and that if a hard drive is getting confused or starting to fail, what it may be doing is upsetting. And I checked and this is a ATA drive here, but it may be. Right. And I'm, I'm not sure if that's tied into USB at some level or not. It shouldn't be. I, I, I think don't we recall were straight ATA but, at that point. Yeah, but it may be on some but there is chips in this machine, like most, which talks to multiple buses. And I'm wondering if there's too much activity and the thing is trying to reset itself and, and the drive is failing or, or sleeping or just getting confused. It may be generating messages that's confusing something farther down the line. Right. And by hitting the keyboard, which I believe is on USB, you're you're kind of saying, oh, no, no, pay attention to me. And it's like, oh, oh all right. You know, yeah, maybe yeah, I'll true. reset the drive. You're generating an interrupt when you do that and it, at some level. So, yeah. Right. So one yeah. thing he could do, uh, the thing that I would run, I believe this, even an ATA drive should port this, is, is smart. And there's something called Smart Reporter. So you can run Smart Reporter and see what the smart status is of that drive. But just the fact that even though it sounds like, uh, I, I believe he said he reinstalled and reformatted the drive and it's still come out, coming up, at the very least, chuck that drive and get another drive. Yeah, or or plug in. I how oh, this didn't have FireWire, or did they? they I can't remember. Uh, well, I'll, get I'll a, look up all you. Uh, yeah, get either. You, uh, I, get some kind of external. Thanks. Get some kind of external drive, either FireWire or USB, uh, and install to that, and just boot from that. And and once you start up, go into Disk Utility or or even from the Finder uh, and unmount the internal drive, either by highlighting it in, your disk, in disk utility and choosing unmount or take the drive and drag it to the trash. Seems very counterintuitive, but but it actually changes to an eject uh, thing, just like it would if you were a DVD or, or a USB, you know, thumb drive kind of thing or camera. Uh, but just drag it to the, the trash or click the eject button next to it. Right. That. OK, so I, I found the uh, interfaces on this. OK, so. And what did I use? You may ask. And I'll tell you, Mac Tracker, my absolute uh, favorite yeah. utility. That's how I know. So this was the last iBook G4, right? In, in the in the product line, but it does have two uh, 40 megabit USB buses and a FireWire 400. It did. Okay. Good connector on it. So so but between, I I don't think it'll boot off a USB drive, but it'll certainly boot off a FireWire drive. Oh, that's right. It might not boot USB. You're right. It will be pretty FireWire. sure older machines didn't yeah. understand how to do that, but firewire it should. So Good memory. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah, right. I'm going on instinct here. I, no, I, I you're you're right. You're absolutely okay. right. Yeah. So yeah. So yeah, try it on a different drive. I, I, I don't know. I, it just seems like, <clears throat> it, you know, that's the test, but I don't know. I, I don't have all, I don't have a lot of hope for this one uh, because it's probably something with the motherboard, but Hey, if it's the drive. And I, I think it's too, uh, I mean, this is not a sub. I mean, if you look also here, you know, in the uh, oh no, look at this. What's that? Well, I'm looking now and I'm looking in Mac Tracker, and this says it's a supported machine. So I'm oh. wondering if you could get a flat rate if Apple still has stashed oh. away somewhere 
a motherboard for this and maybe you could do the flat rate thing, which usually comes in at about 300 bucks or so. Cause that, no, I mean, that dropping, be less, it'll be less on those oh. machines. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Cause dropping power. I mean, to me that indicates that there may be a, a trace or something on the motherboard where, yeah. 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 Cool. All right. Uh, moving on to Jordan. Hello, John and Dave. This is uh, Jordan from uh, Ogden, Utah. Um, calling in, got a, probably about a two-year listener, close to two years listening to you guys. Awesome. Uh, appreciate the insight and expertise you guys bring to the table. Very much appreciated. Um, have a little quandary here. Have a, a friend, rather a client of mine, that I've recently converted to the Mac world. Uh, thank you very much. Saving one PC user at a time. Um, his dilemma here is he has recently bought a MacBook Pro, which is working fine for him, and he also bought a uh, an iMac desktop. Um, what is going on is that he set up a user account for himself and his wife, and um, as he is signing out of each of these, um, and it doesn't matter if he logs in and then logs out or somebody log, you know, his wife logs in also after he logs out. But anytime he goes in and sets his screen resolution, uh, those things, then he logs out and it uh, resets every time. So anytime anybody logs out, the screen resolution is reset. So I thought we'd, uh, that kind of stumped me. I thought I'd call in and check with you guys, uh, the ex the experts in your field. Um, appreciate your help. This is where you can cut me off. Thanks, Jordan. Yeah. Happy to, uh, happy to help. You know, this is one of those great, uh, situations where we can suggest a couple of answers. Uh, but then, you know, we aren't actually on site. So we, we, we get the benefit of sounding like our answers are it. And, uh, and we don't even know if it, uh, if they work, but, but hopefully Jordan will reply, report back. Uh, so screen resolutions to my knowledge, John are stored in one of perhaps two places. Uh, they are stored uh, in Mac OS 10 in home, uh, in your home directory, in library preferences by host, and then a, a file that's com.apple.preference.displays2. And then a whole series of, uh, of information. plist. Uh, and you'll find this file out there, but make sure it's displays two dot uh, and check it by date because sometimes on some Macs, you might have multiple copies of this uh, older, older copies of this file. Uh, I would say delete all of those uh, in each user account. Now, again, these are user account preferences. And I realize from, from your description, Jordan, that this is happening to both user accounts, but I'd wipe those files out anyway and, uh, and see if, if that helps. The other thing I do is a, a PRAM reset because that's the other place that to my knowledge, screen resolutions are stored. So if it's at some point going back and reading the PRAM and that's corrupt or unchangeable by the system, then it's always going to revert back to whatever it reads out of the PRAM. So that th those are my two thoughts on this, John, you got any, got anything else? Uh, I got one thought. Mm -hmm. Well, permission repair. It sounds to me like whatever is, well, Possibly could because be. the file and or directory may not have the right permissions on it. So even though you're setting it to something, it, it it's uh, it's not taking hold. Right. So, yeah, I like it. Cool. Uh, all right. Tyrone is uh, is digging back a few shows, but has something helpful to add. Hey, guys, this is Tyrone from Hiram. Yeah, I'm the, the, the time warp guy. I'm listening to 317 right now. 
uh, from back in February. I'm catching up. But anyway, you guys just made the comment about uh, once your your um, Mac is out of warranty, take it to a, a local reseller versus the Apple store. And, I mean, okay, now I've been lucky. Got Just got my MacBook Pro for free. But um, when I went to a local Mac retailer and went to the Apple store, when I was looking at getting a hard drive replaced, the Apple store was cheaper. Um, yeah, they may limit, you know, they were going to replace the hard drive. They won't necessarily put a bigger one in there if that's what you're you're trying to get. But for the same size, they were cheaper. Um, they, at least here in, in Georgia, the, the Apple store here by Perimeter Mall, you know, it's like thir- a $39 flat fee to do stuff. Huh? So, you know, plus the cost of the hardware or whatever. So um, I would just say if, if you, even if your Mac is out of warranty, take it to a local retailer, reseller, get an estimate. And then take it to the Apple store and get an estimate. Um, I mean, they won't re-warranty, uh, you know, they won't re-Apple carry your stuff. But my, my point is that Apple store is not that expensive. I was surprised when I got my prices, estimated prices for the Apple store and the retail. And Apple was cheaper. So um, that's all, guys. Uh, again, love the show. This is Tyrone calling from the past. So you guys have a great day and take care. Bye-bye. Cool. Hey, Tyrone, when you uh, when you get there, I hear that there's uh, something some special little event in uh, show three thirty six. So you might want to send in a, a nice little note uh, about that to uh, to your favorite geeks too. get it, John, because he's calling from the past. Are you with me on this? I hope he's not calling from the future. <laughs> that would really be confusing. <laughs> yeah, maybe he's lapped us. Maybe he's gone all the way around. Is that how time works? I don't think so, man. Uh, yeah, I don't know. We don't know. We haven't hit the we haven't hit the end of the loop yet, so it's hard to say. Um, and I did find something. Uh, support article HT twelve forty two. What's back, stored in PRAM? And you are correct. Back Display to Jordan. video settings. Yes. Back to Jordan's question. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, All I right. found the article and and it describes. So we'll link to that. But it tells you uh, some of the pieces of data that are stored in PRAM. And you're absolutely correct. Display cool. and video settings such as refresh rate, screen resolution, and number of colors. So. Uh, and, and thank you, Tyrone. That's, that's actually, it's helpful to remember, you know, I'm, I'm in a situation right now. My son cracked the screen on his iPod touch. So yeah, so we're, you know, trying to figure out what to do. In fact, I asked on Twitter and and we haven't tried this yet. I think we're going to head to the Apple store tomorrow. Although some other stuff we've got going on may change that schedule, but, uh, some people suggested, yeah, even though, you know, it's it's I mean, it's under warranty, but it's obviously not covered by the warranty uh, because it's accidental damage. He actually dropped his Apple power supply onto the screen from only about, I don't know, two and a half feet and it cracked the screen. So very, very interesting. I thought that that was enough to uh, to hit it. But I guess, you know, the right corner at the right angle on there, that's the end. But some people have said that uh, Apple has been known to uh, if you're nice. Uh, and they're in a good mood, replace these things even when they're clearly damaged by accident. So, Oh, yeah. Well, I, I heard a story about this, too. Uh, okay. Our friend, our friend Allison, apparently her uh, her device fell out of her purse mm-hmm. and uh, and she posted a, a just a heart wrenching picture. Yeah. And uh, and I guess she went to the Apple store and I guess she was just, you know, really pitiful. And, and they. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And in your case, definitely blame it on the child, Dave. What? I think that's a good strategy. That's right. <laughs> It's true. And man, you know, make sure, you know, he, he gets the puppy dog eyes and, uh, well, I'm going to have him tell the story to the genius X. Oh, oh, you're good. Well, 
it's, how could the genius well yeah I explain mean, to the child right i'm sorry you blew a kid you, blew you, it. you gotta it. yep hope you brought cash kiddo because here it is that's right um and he could say he paid for it, you know, from years of savings. And well, he didn't. He got, it, he got it as a birthday gift. I'll be honest with him, but okay. I'm also going to be honest that that uh, this is actually his his <laughs> second strike with this one because he, I I don't know if it was water damage or what, but uh, this thing malfunctioned and we had to get it replaced, and they've already done it for him. So, uh, so hopefully that may count against Ooh. him. I don't know, but they, oh, they maybe on a list. He might be. I don't know. They they didn't they didn't even suspect water damage. I did, but they didn't. Um, but the buttons just got to the point where they were malfunctioning on it. So, uh, but but he is paying you know for what? this for this repair. Uh, if it, uh, oh, he's, if he's got a repair. he's got a man up. Yep. yep, he's good with it. He's good with it. So uh, it's funny though because my understanding and maybe I, I don't know they they never admit this but I thought that you know there's this gorilla glass. Mm. Which I think they're not allowed to admit that this may, in right. fact, be Gorilla Glass. And right. I don't know if they use it in all Apple products. I suspect they use it in some of it. Okay. But what I've seen, that stuff is pretty tough. So I... Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I've been to some shows where they give me a hammer and they're like, go for it, man. And I'm like, wow, this stuff is is, is pretty rough. But I guess, yeah. yeah, if you drop it just right and I, right I, amount of force. It hit right on the edge of where the button, the home button is. So it mm. wasn't, it didn't just hit like in the middle of the glass. It hit on the, you know, on an edge where it might mm. be, you know, slightly less, uh, less the, the tensile strength will be less. So I think, you know, ah. that's what it is. Oh, but okay. we'll, yeah, we'll find out. All right. Uh, you know our second sponsor for today, I love talking about this company. They are gazelle.com. And what they do is give you cash for your old gadgets that you don't want to go through the trouble of selling. But, you know, you don't want to you've either got them lying around or you don't want them lying around or you want to turn that pile of gadgets into, you know, cash. So uh, the way it works and it's cool. I do this all the time. In fact, you know, every time I do the ad uh, for gazelle, I wind up, you know, typing something in. Uh, just go to gazelle.com and type in whatever it is you have, iPod Nano or, you know, old Blackberry or old, old Trio or whatever it is. And uh, and then they'll ask you some questions about what condition is it in and does it have its charger or is it without that? And, you know, is it working or is it not working, et cetera, et cetera. And then they'll give you an estimate. And if you like the estimate, they'll actually pay you. Uh, they'll pay for all the shipping. And in some cases, they, they'll even send you a box, I think. Uh and and off it and you send it to them. Now, when they get it, uh, they're going to reevaluate it because now they have their hands on it and it's not they're not just asking you questions. And if it's different uh, from what they uh, what they promised you, either better or worse, and it has come back both ways, they're going to give you the option to take what they're now willing to give you for it or simply send it back to you again at no charge to you. So very little risk. The, the only risk you have is being without this object for a, uh, you know, a couple of days while it's en route back and, and per, perhaps forth to, uh, to gazelle. And of course, if, if it was in your pile of electronics, you don't care anyway, because it was just taking up space. So gazelle.com is the place to go to, uh, to check all this out. It is very, very cool. I've, I've used them for a couple things and I, I thought the price was fair. Definitely going to be able to get more if you go through the trouble of selling it on your own. But, of course, you don't have to go through the trouble. These guys have been around uh, almost as long as the Geek Ab. They've been around five, uh, five and a half years. Uh, and uh, and they've done a lot of these things. And, and you know, they they uh, they 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 really pride themselves on what they do over there. So uh, so I encourage you to check it out, even if you don't think you have anything to sell. It's just kind of fun to see what what the stuff you have is is uh, is worth. And you can do that at uh, at Gazelle 
com. James wrote in, John, and James asks, I've been considering switching to clear for all my Internet service, but I've come across numerous reviews that has me thinking this may or may not be a good idea. I have seen a number of reviews where customers complain about not getting anywhere near the speeds that clear advertises, even for customers within a mile or so of a tower. Uh, there are a couple of disturbing issues that seem to be repeatedly stated. Number one, in areas where customers were on 3G and 4G was implemented, there was a market drop in speed instead of an increase. Uh, number two, numerous complaints about bandwidth shaping, particularly for people that view Netflix. When they called customer support, they were told it was specifically because they were watching Netflix. Uh, I know at least one of you uses Clear, but I'm not sure if you're using it for all your Internet service or just for the mobile service. What has your experience been? And if possible, what have other listeners experienced? So, John, you and I both had the opportunity to test this. I, I was actually using it last week. In fact, I, I believe I mentioned it. But if I didn't, last week's podcast was uh, was done over Skype and running on my uh, Clear connection. I was not using the hotel bandwidth. Really? Oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah, way, way more. Well, it's it's under my control, right? There's nobody else that's going to jump on board and start oh, using sure, up bandwidth. Sure. It's not going to be a surprise. And uh, and I can look at the thing and see what kind of signal I've got. But yeah, man, that clear thing at, at home, I don't get 4G with it. Um, so, you know, my speeds are uh, one megabit down and maybe half a megabit up on their 3G where I am here anyway. And I think they use Sprint for their 3G fallback service. But it's 4G where that that thing really shines. I was getting four, somewhere between four and six megabits up from my hotel room in San Francisco at the Westin. And then uh, at least a megabit down, sometimes pushing two, but not reliably. But uh, sorry, other way around, four to six down, one plus up. So uh, and I, I didn't I'm trying to think I don't. Yeah, I did. I watched a Netflix movie. Uh, while I was out there and I also watched something on uh, the HBO go app and, uh, and I didn't, I didn't have any trouble at all. It, it worked fine. Um, so, but you know, limited experience cause I only use it when I travel, but that's, that's, uh, it works well for me. I, in fact, you know, it's unlimited bandwidth, right? You can get a, a plan with unlimited bandwidth from them. It, it, there's no better way when you're traveling. I mean, you can buy one of these things outright, and uh, and then just turn it on when you need to. And then you're just good to go, uh, you know, and, and it's what it's uh, for mobile. I think it's forty five bucks for a month worth of uh, worth of uh, mobile Internet. And it, oh, OK. And it's limited at one megabit up, up, upstream speed. So that maybe that's why I was seeing one megabit upstream as my limit, John. So there you go. Yeah. But unlimited uh, unlimited bandwidth. Uh, sorry. Unlimited uh, transfers. You know, but uh, yeah, it's good stuff. What do you think, John? <laughs> Unlimited bandwidth. Sign me up. Mm -hmm. mm. So here, here's what I think. So I just did. So I have one of their USB devices. It is both 3G and 4G. Right. And I think I got it towards the end of last year. You know, I got it in the in the pile of goodies that, you know, we both get from from people that want us to check out their stuff. Sure. And the thing, you know, I plugged it in and they're like, oh, hi, you know, 4G's coming. And so I plugged the thing in and the 4G light didn't go on. And I'm like, yeah, you know, because 3G, as you point out, the, the speeds are not spectacular, you know, megabit per second. Which is still most. pretty darn good. 
you know, I, I, it's better than nothing. I mean, you're certainly not going to be doing movies and stuff, but for surfing, uh, you know, low impact I've done, surfing. I've done movies over my Verizon oh, right. Wi-Fi, which right. is about that. You know, it's 3G speeds. The, the one I have, I don't have a 4G Verizon. All right, but I'm yeah. going to give you a few benchmarks. So I just benchmarked my device today, but but then a few months later, I decided to plug it in, and all of a sudden the 4G light came on, and I'm like, oh, cool. And, uh, and what I didn't know is that they were testing the launch of 4G in Bridgeport, which is the city right next to Fairfield. Okay, so that was nice. Um, I just tested it right now in 4G, and I got 3.85 megabits down, and sometimes it would it would hover around four or five. Yep. And 2.87 megabits up using a speedtest.net, which that's better than my cable modem because I have the basic service with Optimum Online, which is 15 down and two up. <clears throat> so that's pretty good. But now in, um, in January, when I traveled, I did a couple of screenshots, Dave. And now here's, here, here are the numbers that I got. So when I was at Bradley Airport, uh, which is uh, near Hartford, I got 4.41 up. 1.86 down. That's okay. pretty good. Yeah. When I was in PHY, is that Philadelphia or Phoenix? I think where, that's where Phoenix. That? I think that's Phoenix. Right? PHY. Airport, uh, airport code. Yeah. Hold on. Oh, no. That's oh, no. PHL is Philadelphia. PHL. I'm sorry. I must have missed that. Okay. okay. No, it's Philly. So I got 3.64 megabits up 1.49 mm. down. When I was in San Francisco, dig it, 7.39 megabits down, 4.33 up. Yeah, and that's what I was... when I was at Macworld. That's what I was seeing last week, yeah. So this was definitely a a better option than Wi-Fi. Because rather than fighting with everybody else at Macworld to try to get bandwidth, and the security, you know, security issues uh, (laughs) that go along with that. So... If you're in an area where they offer 4G in all of these areas that I went to, so if you're in a major city, and, and they have a map on their site, and you can see whether they offer it in your, in your city, then I would say it's good. The only thing that I've heard, and you know this, this is uh, something a lot of the providers are dealing with, is, is I have been reading that some people are concerned about their financial viability. Oh, yeah, right, right. In that I think they're, they're burning through cash. I mean, the, the, I have no issues with their service. Their, their service when I've traveled is excellent and the speeds are, are very good. But for, for example, their 4G plan, last I checked, they have an unlimited 4G plan. Yeah, that's right. All the, you know, I think all great, their plans great. are. Yeah. Yeah, it's great for the consumer, but I'm wondering if that's the wisest move if you want to do something like make a profit. Right, or, <laughs> right, right. So I think a lot of people are concerned that they, they may not be able to do what they're doing for much longer because number one, they have to build an infrastructure, but they have to collect money in order to do this. And right. I, I think they may be moving too quickly, you know, and that they're rolling out the 4G, which costs money, but they're not pulling in enough cash. So huh. I'll see if I can find some articles, but that, that would be my only concern. I mean, the worst that happens is, all right, you got a device and they go out of business and right. I, I don't think they will. I, I, I hope not because every, uh, I, everybody I know that, that uses clear is really happy with the, uh, with them. Yeah. So, it's the best thing for traveling. I, I've said it before and I'll, I'll, I'll restate it here. When I'm in a hotel room on clear and I realized this in January, which was the first time I'd done it. I don't think about how I'm going to use the Internet. I simply use it just like I do at home. And while my bandwidth on that isn't quite what I have at home, I mean, my downstream on that thing, even on a good day, is about half of what I get here. Uh, and my upstream is about two here, you know, two and change. But uh, 
But, but there's enough bandwidth on that thing where I just use it and don't think about it. And it really that that's a that's a fundamental shift in a hotel room uh, where it's you know, there's not that. Well, I'm going to I want to, you know, watch a movie. So I've got to quit my male client so it doesn't try to check in the middle and maybe quit, you know, this, that and the other, you know, anything that's going to be decent size, decent chunks of uh, data transfer. You know, you got to quit that stuff. So, I, you know, I don't want to get an attachment from email and have it start fighting with the movie. None of that. It just works. So it's pretty good. Uh, all right. Bill asks, yesterday I was using my iMac and a file named track.aspx downloaded without me asking for it. This has happened a few times. It seems to happen when I go to the CNN.com website, although nothing happened when I went there today. I did a Google search on the file name, but came up empty. I deleted it each time it downloaded. The attached uh, description is what it showed me when I went to the Get Info tab, and he just shows us a file. Uh, I looked and saw that it came from groove.adfusion.com slash track.aspx, followed by a bunch of parameters. I see ads.cnn.com slash event.ng in one of the parameters for the URL, although I wasn't clicking on an ad at the time this happened. Uh, in this day of malware, I get nervous when a file downloads without any prompt on my part, especially when the word track is in the file name. The Get Info tab also said this could be opened with Citrix ICA client dot app. Uh, I have Citrix on my Mac to be able to log into work, but I know this program creates a launch dot ICA file. Uh, should I be concerned about this? Is deleting it from the downloads folder sufficient to get rid of it? I have in my Safari security settings to not open save files after download, so I don't think anything launched. I didn't see it in my activity monitor either. All right. So, uh, John, you want to kick this one off? I'm going to kick it, yo. <laughs> it's show um, number six. Um, show number six. Uh, Did I say that? Here, number six. Show number uh, <laughs> three thirty. whatever. Go. Uh, all right. So what is ASPX, you may ask? I I'm going to tell I, you. Yeah, go. I'm going to tell you because I've worked with this in the past. Microsoft has something called ASP, Active Server Pages. Okay. And this is a way to write code on a web page and use a Microsoft product and have it do something useful. What I suspect happened, and so ASPX is an extension of that. So what I suspect happened, and because I've seen this as well too, is some web pages I go to, all of a sudden I see it downloading in the .aspx file and it does nothing. You know, sometimes there's something that makes sense in there. Like, you know, I guess he, he told us the contents and sometimes there may be Google Cook, but I wouldn't worry about it. My, I, what I suspect is that the web server was misconfigured in that it identified this as a file type that is, is appropriate to download, maybe as a text file or, you know, the MIME type. Right. That's my best guess when I've seen yep. this happen, because you should never be downloading an ASPX file. That's no, something that that's meant to run on the back end to run some code that does something interesting. And looking at what he sent us, I think the purpose of that code was to show him an ad that perhaps was relevant to his location or some other, maybe it was trying to grab a cookie or something like that. That's what I suspect was happening. I, I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. The ASPX is like a .php file. It should be run by the server and never just sent in the clear to the, uh, to the user. So yeah, you're, you're, uh, you're safe on that one their bill but but the, yeah. the path you follow so it's not going right. to do it, yeah it's not going to do it, it, it unless you're running asp.net on your mac which is is going to be kind of difficult <laughs> then no that that file is going to do no harm right so yeah right. getting rid of it is 
And it sounds like the problem went away. So yeah, I think somebody at some point realized, whoops, we, you know, we, we didn't set this up right. As Sorry. someone who has uh, helped to build, and then of course uh, we at Backbeat Media have run ad servers for what, 12 years now. Uh, yeah, I can tell you that there are times when different browsers request things different ways and it, it can cause the server to hiccup a little bit uh, and, and sometimes fire off a file that, you know, should have been processed one way or the other. So yeah, no, no harm done on, on this one, but, but definitely your, your instincts were right, Bill. You know, if you saw something, you didn't know what it was, research it. And then if you still didn't know what it was, get rid of it. And, uh, and you did everything right, including coming and asking us. So there you go. Oh, of course. Uh, of course. So, uh, speaking of asking us uh, and speaking of ads, this is actually very serendipitous. Greg Snyder at uh, Backbeat Media, of course, he uh, co-founded the company with us uh, back, uh, whatever it was, 12 years ago, and uh, and has been with us ever since. I mean, he's, you know, integral part of what we do over there. We have staff meetings, uh, and and we typically have them at the top of the hour, uh, you know, whenever we schedule them, because it's just easier. So we'll say 10 a.m. we'll have it. And for the past several years, uh, occasionally, but not always, Greg's computer would give off 10 chimes at the beginning of this staff meeting. And and we'd all sort of laugh and wait through it. And he'd say, yeah, I have no idea uh, where this came from. I have no idea how to turn it off. It has lived with him across multiple Macs, you know, through migration assistant. But uh, but he couldn't find any way to do it, to turn it off. And he said it would happen, you know, on other hours, too, but not always. And. So we'd always kind of talked about it as one of these things we got to fix. Well, I, I saw Greg a couple of weeks ago and for whatever reason, we remembered to uh, think about it. It did not make the chime while we were together, but, uh, but I don't know, something triggered our, our memory. And so we started digging. And of course the first place I looked was system uh, preferences to see if there was some, you know, widget or whatever preference pane that was going to do this. And no, that wasn't it. So then I looked in uh, login items. No, that's not going to do it. Then I looked in launch agents, right? You know, digging a little deeper, trying to see if what, what, cause it's got to fire off from somewhere, right? There's some process that's, that's deciding to do this chime. And of course I checked date and time preferences and system preferences as well to see if there was some, something there that was set. And, and there is a chime on the earth. There is a speak the time on the hour. And so I, I turned it on and then turned it off, even though it was already off. Cause sometimes flipping, you know, toggling a preference can fix it. no, uh, you know, that didn't, we weren't really trusting that that was going to do it. And I started doing some Google searching about, you know, what could this be? And I came across something. And as soon as I read it, I knew this was where we would find it. And somebody said, don't forget to check the dashboard. And it's totally right because the dashboard launches processes and, and then they stay running. But it only it doesn't launch them until you open the dashboard the first time after reboot. And uh, and sure enough, we launched his dashboard and it fired everything up. And he had this little hourly chime thing sitting in his dashboard. So it didn't happen all the time for him. But anytime once he had run dashboard, either by, you know, intentionally or by accident, sometimes you just click the icon if you've left it in your dock or he uses function keys a lot. And there, and there is a function key that by default is assigned to open dashboard. So, uh, so sure enough, that was it. So it, it made me, it, you know, really kind of blew me away because we've for six years, we've been talking about, you know, if you've got some errant process running, here's all the places you look and never once has the dashboard come up as the culprit. And, and it certainly could be, in fact, I've seen the dash I've seen things in the dashboard on my machine, you know, chewing up CPU cycles so much so that I, you know, I, I force them to quit. 
So, uh, so remember the dashboard. That's my, uh, you don't necessarily have to use it, but just remember it uh, in case you've got some errant process out there. But I thought that was pretty cool, John. Groovy. <laughs> that's your, that's your answer. I guess, well, you know, it does remind me now we have a question. I, I, I don't think we've addressed yet. Okay. But I think it, it, but I came across it being a potential solution as well. I think we had someone with a problem where iTunes will be launching mysteriously on its own. Oh yeah. Could be. The and dashboard. I did a bit of digging and yes, because at first, yeah, I found some solutions online where people said, well, you know, if you got iTunes in your dashboard, that may happen. And I'm like, what do you mean you have iTunes in your dashboard? And I looked in the dashboard and sure enough, there's an iTunes widget in the dashboard. Right. And I would imagine it launches some sort of background or other process. So, uh, so no, it, 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 that is wise advice to yeah. every now and then review what you got running in the dashboard. Cause it may do things that are unexpected, like create <laughs> mysterious sounds. Oh man. Yeah. We would just laugh <laughs> and laugh at the beginning. I mean, this went on for years, probably five years. This, this issue may predate the podcast. It's that old. So that's pretty interesting. That's hilarious. Uh, you know, we we're talking about viruses and all that stuff with uh, with Bill's question. So and then, of course, I really interrupted with my crazy dashboard story. So uh, let's let's just jump back quickly here and share what Francois has to say. Hi, Mike Geeks. Uh, Francois from Montreal again. Uh, you talked about uh, an uh, <clears throat> antivirus software for the Mac uh, virus vir- virus barrier which I I had with, uh, you know, a Mac update pack or some bundle that I bought. And it was was horrible. It was uh, getting in the way. It was uh, everything you don't want in the antivirus software. Uh, Since then, for somebody who really wants to have it, um, and I've tried it, and it it, it is installed on my my machine, and... um, it's running, you know, real time. It's a ESET cybersecurity, um, which is sold on the App Store, uh, on the Apple Store. Uh, I don't know about the App Store, but it's it's sold on the Apple Store, and it's great. It doesn't get in the way. It's uh, I even let it, you know, do its uh, real time magic, and uh, it's really quiet. It doesn't bother you. It doesn't slow down the machine. Uh, it's everything you want on uh, in uh, anti antivirus software, and it's in it's it's. Uh, it's preventing the Mac Defender um, from being installed on your machine, also. So it's uh, it's up to date. So that's uh, that's my take on it. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Francois. That's uh, that's great news. And John, you you've been checking out something else. Uh, I'll be a little bit differently. That, Francois is at eset.com. It's uh, it is ESET Cybersecurity for the Mac is it's sold on a subscription basis. So it's 40 bucks for a year or 60 bucks for two years. So, you know, balance that, that that's how this stuff works. Uh, and it, it's kind of a time honored business practice on the windows side that they, uh, they get you, you know, subscribing to it. Cause you are getting these updates regularly and you need those. Uh, John, and we'll talk a little bit more about updates, but first, John, you, you've been using a, something else, right? Well, I've been using, and I'm I'm happy with it. But there, there there's Virus Barrier Express, so there's still a freebie, and and I, and that is the type of antivirus which I'll call passive, in that it doesn't, as far as I can tell, doesn't do anything unless you explicitly drag a file on top of it. And 
Should, should I tell my little story now, or do you want to tell your story first? Well, uh, well I'll tell my story. So uh, I guess about a week and a half, maybe two weeks ago at a staff meeting, you know, we were discussing this new safe download files version, right? The, the thing that, that, that Apple has where uh, if you're, and you can check this, if you're on the latest build of Snow Leopard, which is 10.6.7, and you go into system preferences security, uh, and you've done all your software updates on the general tab. There is a new checkbox that is automatically update safe downloads list. Uh, and what this does or is supposed to do is every day it goes out to Apple and updates with their, uh, so, you know, Apple provided definitions of virus files, and then it scans everything you're downloading. Now it, it's, uh, you know, so you, it's not going to scan everything on your system, but it does scan those files that you're downloading. Uh, and it really is is updated regularly to protect against Mac Defender. Now, uh, the problem with this is you have no idea what version you're running and you don't know if it's uh, it, when the last time was it updated. So we figured out where all this information was stored and we published an article on it. And then we talked about it a little bit more in a staff meeting and decided, gosh, you know, uh, it'd be really handy if people could just see this information without having to dig through the guts of their system. Could we do this in Apple script? And the answer of course came from Adam Christensen, who in addition to doing MacCast, uh, he actually works with us here at TMO uh, all day, every day uh, managing the, the back end. He, he handles all the, uh, the you know, problems that we have with, with any of the servers and, and uh, especially all the programming and, and design stuff that we do. That's all him. So, uh, and he's a really, really smart guy. So he he set off to creating this Apple script and a couple hours later he came back and he said, uh, try this out. And the result of that is a little thing that we've called or he's called safe download version checker. And we have it posted at TMO. Uh, it is up to version 0.4.1. Uh, it's freely available. We'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, it will tell you what version you're running and then it'll let you update. It'll give you a little, you click update and it'll go and, uh, and get the new version and tell you about that. So I was running version eight when I got to this computer here today, cause it hadn't been on for a while cause I was away last week. And, uh, and then, uh, I updated and now I'm at version 13. So that's a, that's a valuable thing. And it's especially valuable because I failed the test. John's about to talk about with version eight and, <laughs> and passed it with version 13. So this is, this is go. So the first thing I'll mention is that now this is also why I like our friend Little Snitch, because there is a process called XProtect Updater, which is doing this for you. OK, and so if you and if you look in the plist file, what it does is it normally schedules that to run once a day or once every however many tens of thousands of seconds. But anyways, I noticed that as soon as I got that one update is like, oh, look, a new process wants to call Apple. Isn't that interesting? Right, right. But anyways, so I ran into this because, yes, it I, actually, I it actually was little snitch that helped us. I told John Martellaro because I know he runs it just like you do. And I asked him, I said, OK, you got to watch this for the next 24 hours and tell us what the process is. And it didn't take 24 hours. It was like four right, or right, five right. hours later. He's like, got it. Like, perfect. Good. So, yeah, that, that then, definitely helped. Go ahead. But it actually came in useful over the weekend. Uh, it was a day or two ago. So I'll get through the story quick. So I was watching a movie. Uh, it was uh, Night and Day with Tom Cruise and Cameron Diaz. You know, good, good action flick. You know, sure. you got it in Blu-ray. You know, lots of things exploding and shooting and, you know, your typical action film. And at one point, there was a line where uh, one of the characters says, pies for everyone. And I was on my computer and on Twitter, so I typed in pies for everyone. Now you're wondering, what does this have to do with the Mac? But I'll tell you, Dave. Okay. 
And so at some point, so, so then, you know, there was a little chatter. There were some people on Twitter, you know, while I was watching the movie and they're like, oh, what's your favorite pie? What's your favorite pie? And somebody mentioned Huckleberry. And I'm like, is that even real? What's a Huckleberry pie? So I decided just for yucks to, to go into Safari and go into the little Google search window in the upper right hand corner. Uh, people are probably still wondering, what is John, where is John going with this? I'm going to I'm going to tell you. And then I typed in Huckleberry. In the upper right hand corner, what came up was a match for Huckleberry on Wikipedia. And then a few uh, pictures down, pictures of Huckleberries from Google Image. But except for one, it was a picture. And if you're in America uh, or watch cartoons, it was a picture of Huckleberry Hound. I fondly remember Huckleberry Hound. This is, this is like an ADD nightmare that we're ta- that you're discussing here. But just keep <laughs> but it's, going. It's, it's fascinating. Spoken. Yeah. So then what I did is I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Must be an image on a you know cartoon website or something. Let me click on Huckleberry Pound and see what's going down. Well, I clicked on a picture of Huckleberry Hound, and moments later, I got a virus alert screen. I'm like, oh my gosh, what the? It was the virus alert screen, the, the bogus virus alert screen that comes up with this whole Mac Defender problem. So you actually got it in the wild without hunting for it. That's that's impressive. That, well, that's I've heard this telling. is the tip. This yeah. is the typical attack or one of the attack vectors is right. You click on an image and then somehow somebody hacks something in the background or I don't know how they get it listed there, but I, I don't know the details of it. But anyways, the result of clicking on Huckleberry, a picture of Huckleberry Hound resulted in this bogus screen saying, dude, you got a virus. You want to download antivirus? And I'm like, yeah, why not? Because I, I know what's going on. Sure. And sure enough. Now, the thing is, the first time I did this. So what I want to point out is there's a battle going here. So the first time I did this, I believe I had version 11 because I checked beforehand because I wanted to see this happen and catch it. Right. And the problem is when I did this two days ago, it didn't catch it. Wow. I did not get the alert from Safari saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. But then I just did it again today. And now I have version 13. And sure enough, when I tried to download the program, it said, whoa, whoa, whoa. DI shield.pkg will damage your computer. You should move it to the trash. Safari downloaded this from this address. It contains OS malware. Now, the other reason I want to m- mention uh, virus barrier express is that I updated its definitions. And by dragging the file over to that, it also identified properly this, uh, malware. So what does this have to do with huckleberries? Absolutely. (laughs) A little something, but it surprised me because I I had not been looking for this attack and I knew better, but I, I wanted to see what happened. And so Apple, so Apple's playing the game here in that they upgraded to two versions and they found this new variation between the time I did it on Saturday and the time I did it today. So yeah. this is going to get messy, man. Yeah. It, it really has to be user education here because, That's you know, right. when I saw that screen, I mean, there were misspellings and I mean, even that in and of itself should have told someone, you know, that something's yeah. not right here. All right. Our third sponsor for this show is Stitcher. Stitcher is an app that you install on either your iPhone or iPad or iPod Touch or BlackBerry or Android or 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 they make them for everything. Uh, it's a free app and it's meant for listening to podcasts. The cool part is that it will stream them right to you. You don't have to sync with iTunes. You don't have to uh, go out of your way to, to subscribe or anything. You just mark certain podcasts as favorites and that makes them easy to find, but you can search their whole directory, pick a podcast, hit it. And uh, it starts down. It, it's at that point, it starts downloading it and streaming it and just playing it for you. 
again, it is free and uh, and they're actually throwing something special in because they want you to try it. They know that you're listening to podcasts. That's why they're advertising here. And uh, and they want you to try it. And I've tried it and I actually like it. I've been I would used it a bunch um, traveling and stuff because it's just simple. If somebody mentions a podcast. I can just start listening right away, right on my device. So uh, when you download Stitcher, you've got to sign up for an account. That's how it stores your uh, your favorites across devices and all that. When you do, you have the option of entering a promo code. Now, signing up for an account is free. The promo code is really just to do this extra thing for you. So number one, you enter in the promo code MGG. And when you enter MGG, it automatically marks Mac Geekab as a favorite and enters you into a drawing for yet another iPad to uh, for this month. So they're doing a new drawing every month. So uh, that's uh, that's code MGG when you're signing up for Stitcher. Now, you can go to stitcher.com slash MGG, but really all that's going to do is ask you for an email, uh, your email address, which is fine. They, they've been safe about it. I did this with mine. And then uh, they'll send you an email telling you go download the app and type in MGG. So uh, so you can skip that part and just download the app and type in MGG as the promo code. So that's Stitcher in the app store. And of course, you can check it out. Stitcher.com slash MGG. We have had a lot of questions about Lion. And uh, and it, it's time to start addressing them uh, as much as we can, as much as we know, because uh, because Lion's coming, you know, probably within the next month or so. Right. By the end of July, according to Apple, we're going to have mm-hmm. Lion shipping and and on our doorsteps. So I'm actually running Lion now uh, you know, I, I got the, the latest developer <gasps> release while I was at WWDC. And so I'm running that not on this machine. <laughs> no, no, sir. But uh, but I am running, you know, the the latest developer release at the house. Now, things change from developer release to developer release. So, it you know, that, that's it's not necessarily a good thing for anything specific. But uh, but in a general sense, I think I think we can we can start to help people here. Uh, Larry writes. As we approach the release of Lion, I'm looking over apps that apparently will not work with the new OS. I know developers update their products, but one that I use every day apparently will not be supported. The app in question is my old, very old copy of Quicken 2007. I've been looking at options. Most Mac financial software seems to be missing some features that are important to me. iBank is highly recommended, but lacks a bill pay feature. And I've read of problems regarding the importation of data from Quicken during initial setup. Other software options receive mixed reviews and many comments suggest they don't compare favorably with current versions of Quicken in spite of its age. I've considered installing Fusion or Parallels in running Windows version of Quicken, but this seems to be a bit overkill and a less than elegant solution. So, uh, yeah, and, and thank you for the congratulations, Larry. Yes, we have been here six years. Um, yeah, I'm in the same boat. I use Quicken, always have, uh, assumed I always would, but Quicken doesn't run. Uh, because Leopard doesn't have Rosetta and Quicken is not universal. So Quicken needs Rosetta to run. So, so what you're saying, yeah, I I just want to make sure that that we talk about why you're in the boat that you're in or why they put you in this boat and won't give you another boat is if you go to, so Rosetta is the layer that's in the current OS. Correct. That lets you run power PC applications. Now, how do you know if you're running a power PC application? I would say the best way is you go to system profiler, click on applications you will see a column that says kind. Yeah. If it says Intel or universal, then you're cool for lion. If it says anything else like power PC or even classic, which won't work 
Yeah, you shouldn't that, even they be gave that up. You right. shouldn't be even be seeing that. Right. Uh, but so, so the key here is that any application that you have that is PowerPC in that column, horked. As far as we know, you are out of luck with Lion. It will yeah. not run. So you either have to check with the vendor to see if they... Now, sometimes they do. You may have it left over from a prior installation. Right. Or... As I believe is the case with Quicken, they just never bothered to uh, develop a universal version and and go on. Yeah, I I, I started emailing people at Quicken today, and to be honest, I'm really kind of I mean, I, I'm disappointed in them, but not I, I'm disappointed for two reasons. Number one, of course, I'm disappointed because they haven't updated Quicken in in five years or whatever, uh, four years. But uh, and and it's not a universal app, which is just criminal. Um, but number two is the way they've been passing things around internally. It's like, you know, I asked the PR person, they're like, oh, well, let me put you in touch with our PR agency. It's like, well, don't you feed them information? Like, that's stupid. That means you don't want to be the one spreading the message, and that's kind of... The buck has to stop somewhere. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's... uh, So anyway, but no, we're out of luck. I I am... uh, I am now actively researching options. I know John Martellero over at TMO did a roundup on a bunch of different personal finance packages. I think, and I, and I will, re, I will review this and get back to all of us here, but I think he decided money dance was the, his favorite of, of all of them when he did it about a year ago. So, uh, but I, I'm going to have to figure out something because I need to run quick. And you know, the, the idea of running it inside, you know, VMware or parallels, or I think it, I think it will run under, um, uh, help, help me here to crossover from code weavers. I, I think I'm pretty sure Quicken runs in that. I think that's one of their biggest, uh, you know, one of the biggest use cases for crossover is that it, it does run in there. So, uh, so you can check that out at uh, codeweavers.com, but that would save you the having to buy and install a copy of Windows. It just sort of runs and uh, and it uses it uses something, an open source thing called the Wine Project and and uh, and just makes it work. It's kind of magic. So so check that. That would that would be a cleaner way of running Quicken for Windows, uh, which is a more full featured thing. I know that's what Pete does. I don't I don't know if he I think he runs it in parallels, but uh, but that's how he runs his his financial stuff is he runs Quicken for Windows. So, because uh, he got sick and tired of the Mac version being crashy and and all that. All right, Ed asks. I keep hearing that to upgrade to Lion, you have to have at least a Core Two Duo processor. My daughter has one of the original Intel MacBook Pros that came with a Core Duo, not a Core Two Duo. Is it still able to run Lion? Uh, according to Apple's page, no. It uh, a core duo will not run lion. You need, uh, in fact, let me pull this up and read it so that everyone hears, but it is, uh, they say your Mac, your Mac must have an Intel core two duo core. I three core. I five core. I seven or Xeon processor to run lion. So that there's your, because if you want to get a little geeky, the core duo is a 32 bit processor, right? So it's a it's a very nice processor, but it, it, Core Two Duo was the first sixty four bit right in that series. So just like Apple is bringing people kicking and screaming <laughs> into the sixty four bit world, they're doing the same thing with the PowerPC uh, legacy stuff. And yep. uh, and again, I kind of jump back a little bit here, but I, I look here, and so Quicken has varying levels of support from crossover. It looks like the best is. 2010 it has silver level support oh, so uh, crossover crossover has different levels of support it could be bronze silver or gold 
but they have at least one that is silver level. So, so that does sound that's like good. a viable option. Then. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. All right. Uh, we're going to go to Timothy here. He, he just has a quick follow up to last show. I, th- I think it was last show. Uh, he said, uh, I came to the Mac after I learned uh, in reference to your latest show, dual booting works fine with Snow Leopard and Lion. I've done this since the first developer preview of Lion. I use disk utility and it works fine, but I did have to boot from my Snow Leopard CD to partition the disk. Uh, if you ever want to unpartition the drive, I had to wipe and restore. Can't wait for everyone to get Lion. It works great right now. So thanks, Tim. That's uh, that's that's helpful. And we, we figured it would work. And and now uh, I guess let's let's wrap up the show. We got time for one more thing. And, and while we're online, we might as well push this out. Uh, Adam has a question. Hi, this is Adam. I've been watching the WWDC keynote, and I have to say that uh, Lion looks like a disaster from a tech support point of view. Um, I just like to hear your guys' point of view on modality in the operating system and where the desktop is going because essentially the way Lion's going to work, you're not going to have Windows anymore. The whole Xerox Park point and click to a window and manipulate a real-world metaphor um, is gone. And now you have to tell people, well, if you want to go into this application, pinch on the trackpad. Or if you want to do this, do four fingers in this direction. All of these um, undecipherable um, um, commands, uh, I don't see how this is any different than having an entire operating system running off of key equivalents. Um, how is this different than DOS, where the entire window is taken over by a program and you have to press a function 7 to uh, go into another program? Or, uh, in any case, um, I, I think that um, the iPhone and the iPad, iOS, is um, taken to an, at the nth degree in a ridiculous extreme with the desktop in Lion. And I think that this is going to be a real problem for tech support. So, anyway, be interested to hear what you guys have to think about, say about that. Thanks. Yeah, that, that's actually an interesting take on it. Um, I hadn't really thought about the whole tech support angle, but I have thought a lot about just the, the impact of this full screen view. Now, uh, I have to be honest, the first place that I installed the developer preview line was on a 22, 24 inch iMac, right? So big, big screen. And of course I tested out the, the full screen thing. It was like, wow. Okay, that's, you know, I don't really need that Safari taking up that much of the screen. Websites don't go that wide anyway, right? Uh, you know, and, and the same with mail, a little bit different. You, you'll see mail in, in Lion when you get it. It's not, you know, it's kind of a different thing. So, it, you know, it sort of made sense, but not for everything. And then I installed it on a laptop. And even though it was a 15-inch laptop, I, I really started to get a feel for why this might actually be a really good thing. And if you take that concept that we saw at the keynote and translate that down to an 11 inch MacBook Pro, we start getting into the realm where, you know, when the iPad first came out, I started thinking, wow, wouldn't it be great if when it's an iPad, you know, when I'm just out and about with it, I can be in this full screen view mode for everything. But if I get back to my desk and I plug it into a keyboard and a larger monitor with a mouse, I want to be able to flip from iPad mode 
you know, to Mac OS 10 mode with my windows and all that stuff. And, and, and this is close, you know, this is definitely heading in that direction. The question, and I, and this is where I share some of Adam's concern is how far is Apple going to take it? Because where we're going to have it with lion, as we saw is we can do both, right? You, and you get to pick whether your apps go full screen or not. And not every app's going to support it. The app needs to be written to do it. And some of Apple's apps are, and presumably some third parties will decide to do this too. But you know, there's a, there's a choice by the user and I can, you know, jump back to, to windowed mode and, and do all that. If I want, assuming it stays there, I think it's going to be fantastic. Uh, you know, imagine getting rid of, we already can get rid of the dock on a, on a laptop, but imagine getting rid of all the extraneous stuff that, that, that defines that you're in a window, especially when you're in a window, that's the size of the screen. You don't need the menu bar necessarily. You don't need the title bar of the window necessarily, right? You know, there's some stuff that can just go away and you get a lot more of that small screen available to actually work. So it could be a cool thing unless they you know, keep iterating this down to the point where we no longer have windows and then we got a problem. I, I agree that, you know, that I don't like that idea, but, uh, but otherwise I think it could actually, I'm, I'm having a, a change of heart on some of this. I think it could actually be really cool, especially for laptop users. I don't know. What are your, do you have any thoughts on this, John, from, from what you've seen? I got a rant ready for you, brother. Okay. <laughs> way, Maybe not a rant, end, but that's uh, the way to end show three thirty six. <laughs> but but I think I understand Adam's point. So he was touching on a number of things. I, I don't know if I like the term modality because to me that means something in a in a programming sense. But what what I think he is saying, and this I think is an issue, is how are you how are you going to communicate with someone? regarding these gestures and i think that was one of his main points it was yeah definitely what am i going to say to you uh, if you and i dave are trying to figure out an app on a certain device whether it be an iphone or an ipad you know how, how are we going to guide each other to, to me it's kind of intuitive but once you or maybe not even then i mean what do i say to you well no the, the thing is i see the gestures on the iDevices at least at this point to be manageable okay but the ones that they're starting to present now for example on the trackpad so i I like the gestures on the trackpad on my macbook pro and i don't even think about using them but i don't know how i could verbalize them to someone yeah i I don't think about doing a tap you know a double fingered swipe or a tap or going forward or backwards to you know two finger three finger four finger Uh, and i think that's what he's saying how how do you communicate the essence of what you're doing, which you don't need. I mean, I don't think about it. And I think you th- you don't think about it when you navigate in Safari, or you scroll up or you scroll down or you do a back or a forward. You don't think about it. But how do you communicate that to someone else? And, and the other problem I think I have is I hope they don't get too much. I mean, it sounds like they're almost overloading Lion with too many things that kind of make sense on a touchscreen device. But I don't think necessarily makes sense on a PC or a device that does not have a touch surface or trackpad. Okay. Right. Yeah. 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 And that's, that's actually interesting because I have used the first machine on which I tested lion has a regular non Apple mouse with a scroll wheel. So my point exactly. Yeah. How much are you going to get out of lion? If you don't have 
a trackpad, either a Magic trackpad or a trackpad on a MacBook Pro. Will you get the same level of potential functionality? And I suspect the answer may be no, No, which kind of sucks. You won't, but it's totally usable. You know, the dock's still available. If even in full screen mode, you can pull the dock up. Um, You can go to the, um, you know, whatever, what did he call it? uh, uh, Mission control, right? And and so. see yeah. all of your apps and windows. And I mean, there is ways to get there. This mouse actually had a, a, a third button at, on the side and it Apple just grabbed it and, and it was mission control. So it was like, oh, great. I can I can get there and I can do it. But, you know, you can't do the cool things like sliding screens back and forth and, and moving around because those require trackpad ish gestures. Uh, now, remember, the top of Apple's magic mouse is full multi-touch. So, you know, don't give up hope. Uh, that, you know, that, that, that's there. You don't necessarily need a trackpad, but you've, you know, if you, if you've got some sort of Apple multi-touch device, but you know, that's Apple's way. They, they, they've never really, as long as you're using something from Apple, I think you're going to be fine. And if you're using a third party thing, yeah, you're going to miss out on some of that functionality. Yeah. Yeah. And again, from a, from a, a support angle, which I think what he was saying. So, so are you going to have to fill out a questionnaire? No, I would. Okay. Do you, all right. Hello person needs support. Do you have a mouse or a trackpad? Do you have an Apple mouse, a non-Apple mouse, uh, a trackpad or a magic trackpad? I mean, you got to tell me before I can help you because I got to understand what language to speak to you to help you. Yeah. Or you could just, I I do, but I mean, you could, you could be that way, but you don't have to, you could just simply go and say, all right, go to your dock and click on Safari, go to your dock and click on mail. Oh no, I'm going to be that way, man. (laughs) And and at that point, it it doesn't matter if it's, (laughs) if it's full screen or, or anything, it's going to, that's going to bring you to the app. And, and, and so at least that construct still, you know, still works no matter what pointing device you have. Well, as long as they can, and I've seen this a bit with Aperture. So Aperture has a very nice full screen mode. Yep. But when I've been going through the tutorials, they always have a way to map everything that's on the screen that you could click on with a mouse to a keyboard shortcut. And I think that may be where uh, uh, something that Adam's suggesting would probably be, or at least in my mind is a good thing, is that you should have multiple ways there are. to accomplish the same thing. And if you start locking people out, too much like well you need to do a triple finger you know backflip uh handstand to do no, something it, it, there's nothing like that right i mean it's there good, are functions good. Then, then that then that's fine right there there are there are some functions convenience functions that you only get with a trackpad right. or you know some sort of apple multi-touch device but you aren't limited from ac- accessing anything, including all the mission control. Okay. Even if you've just got a regular mouse without the extra button, you, your function keys, you know, can still be assigned. And by default, sure. some of them are, you know, to mission control. So you can jump around and it. That's going to be fine. Yeah. No, I, I, I don't. I, it's, it was interesting because it, because of the path I took, you know, I, I went from non multi-touch first to, to multi-touch and I didn't realize I was missing anything until I saw you know, the keynote, and I was like, oh, that must be new stuff. And then I realized, oh, no, that's not new. <laughs> that's just, that's stuff that, you know, I can't do yet because I haven't plugged in a trackpad into my Lion machine. So, so yeah, it's good. It's, uh, it's fun. So keep those, keep those questions coming, uh, you know, depending on the level of depth we need to go. We may or may not be able to answer them, but, but certainly we're going to be ready for you the day that uh, the Lion ships. We're going to be able to help you out with, uh, with a lot of troubleshooting. There are. A lot of a lot of interesting things about Lion 
like you get to play the find the library folder game. Hmm. Yeah. So that that'll be your homework between now and when Lion is released. John is uh, find the library folder. Uh. All right. I uh, if I was part of the developer program, I may have downloaded the latest uh, seed. Are you not part of the developer program? No, I am. I, I thought you were. Uh, oh, no. okay. No, yeah. I am. No, okay. I I, uh, I got the. I think it's uh, four preview four. Mm-hmm. This latest. Good. See, I, I haven't looked at it a lot because uh, you know I, yeah. I, I want to be in here and now. Yeah, there, there you go. <laughs> uh, no, I'll check it out. I, I'm just afraid of destroying anything. But I mean, the, the, the first time I tried to install it, I was kind of terrified because it seemed like it took over my MacBook Pro. Oh, that's bad. And that I couldn't boot into my old OS. But, no. but eventually it fixed itself. But their installer did some funkiness. Eventually okay. I got it where, where it, it put it on. An, I was aiming to put it on an external drive. And all of a sudden it started, you know, it appeared to be on my internal drive. And I was like, oh, man, I hope I didn't destroy everything. Of course, I had a time machine backup. So, you know, worst came to worst, I, I could have done a restore. But but for a moment, I was I was afraid. So old, I, I will old, I will try it again. Beta this was right. I think it was it was the first. OK, uh, first uh, preview. So now they're okay. up to four. So yeah. I think it's a little better. Radically so. different. Yeah. Good. All right. All right. Good, good, good. So uh, I hear the band, Dave, and that must mean that feedback we Feedback at MacGeekGab.com is the best place to send your comments, questions, screenshots, and really whatever else you'd like to send. That that will definitely get to John and I and uh, gets it to us in a very clear and concise fashion. So we appreciate that. Well, as long as when you're writing an email to feedback at MacGeekGab.com, you are clear and concise. Oh, that's true. It does. Uh, yeah, the message is uh, the message is more important than the medium. Uh, 206-666-GEEK is the number you can call and geek is me and you or <laughs> yes, four three three five two six 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 four three three five is the number to call you can skype us at mac geek gab and of course you can uh, find us on facebook john facebook is uh, facebook.com slash mac geek app that's right in fact it even says on facebook.com slash mac geek if you click on info it'll give you the uh the uh, six-year anniversary date. Or the, well, I, ha- I had to open the, the, the vault to find that. That's or, great. Well, no, you know what I did, Dave? It's always good to mention this. You know how I got the date of our first podcast? How'd you do that, John? Well, because I have the premium feed, Dave. And one of the benefits of the premium feed, don't you like how I plug the premium feed? That's one good. of the benefits of premium is you get all the way back to episode one. Yeah, you get to hear that. It's, it's uh, not pretty. I don't think. Uh, you well, know, it was a different thing, right? I mean, it, you know, the first two episodes were radically different than the 334 that followed them. Yeah, uh, we're, we were exploring the space. That's right. Oh, but hey, I, speaking whoa. of space. Kick the band. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, I was able to see within iTunes the, 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 the date of episode one, yep. which was... June 13th. All right. 2000. So, yeah, uh, $25 for six months, I believe. Yep. Two extra episodes a month, access to the archives, and uh, and our deep and sincere appreciation for uh, for going above and beyond and, and supporting us in that way. We really we appreciate support from everybody, and especially so when uh, when you do it that way. So thank you very much. Uh, you can find us on uh, on Twitter. Uh the show is twitter.com slash MacGeekGab. I am slash Dave Hamilton. John is slash John F. Braun. And Pilot Pete is Pilot Pete. 
We also like to thank Michael Johnston. He's Michael Johnston on Twitter. He's the host of the We Have Communicators podcast, and he converts this to AAC for you. Cashfly.com, also Cashfly on Twitter. Provides all the bandwidth for the show. The podcast marketplace includes the A5 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, uh, BB Edit from Barebones, Text Expander and Text Expander Touch from Smile, Notebook from Circus Ponies, Stitcher.com, and your code is MGG and also Drobo. All through Backbeat Media. John, that's it. We're out of here. Thanks, folks, for uh, six years. We're looking forward to, uh, hey, why not six more? Six more? Sure. We'll right. Sign up now. Sign up now. Do you think Apple's going to be around that long? No, they're doomed, man. Do you think there's going to be a Mac? Are we going to have to change the name of the podcast, Dave? That we might need to do. <laughs> Have fun, folks. Thank you again so, so very much. And, uh, of course, don't get caught. <laughs>